Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 7. John chapter 7. As you turn there, think about this. When you have uh, two people telling you two different things, who do you believe? (laughs) Who do you believe when you have two people telling you two different things? You ever find yourself in a spot like that? Sometimes, Sometimes it happens, it can happen in the workplace. You have the the owner of the company or maybe the management saying one thing and then you have the employees saying or maybe the, maybe the employees are kind of whispering off to the side another thing. Uh, sometimes it happens in the home and this happened to us over the years as we were raising our children. Sometimes you have a couple of children in front of you and you suspect one of them has done something but you're not sure which one. Who did this? And neither one of them, or at least uh, neither one of them admits it, but they each tell you a different story. Who do you believe? Sometimes it's really hard to tell who to believe. And then, of course, uh, with the midterm elections coming up on Tuesday, can we get, in, we get into that, right? If you watch the commercials, if you read the ads, you'll find uh, politicians saying opposite things, and you... You wonder, who, who do I believe? If you haven't been following the, the issues, and if you're not up on the issues, you might be stumped. Who do I believe? Who's telling the truth? When that happens, who do you believe? Sometimes it's very hard to tell. Something like that is going on in the text before us uh, today. We're going to begin in verse 25. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 36 today. So take your copy of God's Word and follow along with me as I read from the English Standard Version, starting at John 7 and verse 25, and and something like that situation is happening here. Let's look at it together, John 7 and verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. And verse 30 says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And verse 32 The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? So right at the outset, I want you to 
I want you to know this, and, and this is something you need to know in the depths of your soul. Here's something there's no question about. You can trust Jesus. You can believe Jesus. Uh, you need to have that settled in your mind. It's really something you need to come to grips with. Can I believe? Can I trust Christ? Can I believe in it? Yes, I'm telling you, yes, you can. The Bible tells you, yes, you can. You need to have that settled in your heart and your mind. You can trust Jesus. There is no question about whether Jesus can be trusted. There's no question about whether Jesus can be believed. And when Jesus speaks and someone else contradicts, here's what I suggest. Believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. In the text before us this morning, we find people who, who land on opposite sides of whether they believe Jesus or disbelieve him. Some believed Jesus and some did not. So let's go back now to verse 25 to see what's going on here. Verse 25 says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Now the setting here. We saw the setting here beginning uh, at the beginning of chapter 7. We were at the beginning of chapter 7 a few weeks ago. And we saw the setting What's the setting here? What's going on? Well, it's the Jewish Feast of Booths. Again, there are uh, crowds gathering. It's this Feast of Tabernacles at Jerusalem. And you have to understand that present at this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles are people who are traveling from all over the place to come to this Jewish Feast. And the people who had traveled here for the Feast would not have known, necessarily, the plans of the authorities to kill Jesus. They wouldn't have been up on that, but the locals, the locals would have, and that's what we see going on here. The people who had traveled, not so much, but the, travel, the, the people who lived here. So in verse 25, what we hear are some of the local people of Jerusalem, the people that lived in the area. They're speaking and they seem to have a pretty good handle on what's going on with these Jewish religious leaders and their intent to kill Jesus. The people say, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And so the plans to have Jesus killed are not so secret in Jerusalem, are they? This is why we see the amazement of some of the people of Jerusalem in verse 26. Look at verse 26 again where they say, and here he is speaking openly, or you might think boldly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So the people are saying, if they want him dead so badly, why are they letting him speak openly? And they reasoned that, that maybe the authorities knew that this Jesus was the Messiah. That's that's what the saying, the Christ means. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. So they reason, maybe the authorities believe Jesus is the Messiah. Well, we can see in verse 27 that these people don't themselves believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But note what led them to this conclusion at first. What was it that led them to think to say this, that maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe they think this is the Messiah. What was it? I would suggest that it's the boldness of Jesus' teaching. 
the boldness and the wisdom of Jesus' teaching. The people are saying, here, look, look how openly or, or look how boldly he's speaking. And, and isn't he the one the authorities are trying to kill? Now, when we look at this, we might think this. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is challenging the authorities here? We might be led to think that. Does it seem like Jesus is challenging them? Just daring them to do something? Is that what Jesus is doing? I don't think so. We might think, how could Jesus speak so boldly when he knew the Jewish religious authorities wanted so badly to kill him? And I don't think he's trying to egg them on or anything. I don't think he's trying to challenge them so much as this thought. Jesus could be bold because he's not constrained by their timeline. He could, he could speak boldly. He could speak plainly in public. He could teach because he was on a different timeline than these Jewish authorities had in mind. Jesus, God incarnate, God in human flesh, will not be diverted from the Father's divine timeline. We see that clearly when in verse 30 it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Jesus is on the Father's timeline. He's keeping the Father's schedule. And he will not be diverted from it. Jesus was bold because he is all about fulfilling the mission of the Father. This confidence was his because he's, he's under orders. He has orders. It's like the, it's like the sentry who might be a private, and yet he stops the general at the gate. And if that general does not have permission in, the the private will not let him in because, and it's not because he's bold because he's a private, but he's bold because he has orders. And he knows that if he doesn't keep those orders, he will be punished. But Jesus is following the orders of his Father. God the Father gives direction to God the Son. God the Son comes and keeps the Father's timeline. This confidence was His because He is under orders from the Father. And, don't forget this, He has the Father's help. He has the Father's help. In fact, there's a prophetic passage about this boldness of Jesus. It's not seen only here in John 7, but we see this boldness of Jesus elsewhere. But, Listen to Isaiah 50, Isaiah 50 in verses 7 through 9. There's this prophecy here about the boldness of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. When Isaiah 50 and verses 7 through 9 tell us this, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Those are prophetic words about the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Isaiah Isaiah 50. 
These are prophetic words about the boldness of Jesus, which we see on display here in John chapter 7. And he has the help of the Lord God, God the Father. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, says verse 7. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. I want you to think about this for a moment. There's something here that you should be reminded of and you should remind yourself of when you desperately need to be reminded of this. You ever take wonderful and powerful truths from the Word and then remind yourself of them? I hope you do. There are times we need to be reminded of the truth of God's Word, and this is one of them. Something you should remind yourself of here is that the Spirit-filled boldness of Jesus is also yours if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you. God the Spirit is in you. And the same Spirit-filled boldness of Jesus is is the same kind of spirit-filled boldness that God wants us to have, that he empowers us, us with, with his spirit. The boldness of Jesus is the boldness of his followers. It's for all believers in Jesus. Take that to heart. All people who are Christ's have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That ought to encourage you and strengthen you uh, as you remember that and you take that to heart and you need to know this too. You're, you're living on God's timetable. You realize that? You are living on God's timetable. You are living in God's time frame, God's timeline. And what we see lived out in the lives of believers throughout the New Testament, the same can be true of you. You know, when you look at some of the lives of believers throughout the New Testament, who were, who were followers of Christ, they were believers in Jesus, and what does Jesus tell them? I must go. <laughs> I must go. Why? Because I will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, we know, indwells those who trust in Christ. And we can see the power that believers in Jesus have, not their own power, the wisdom they have, not their own wisdom, It's a power and wisdom to live for God's glory because it's not of themselves, but it is in them through the work of the Holy Spirit. And again and again, we see the church and followers of Jesus boldly living, boldly speaking for Christ, boldly speaking the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And you should be encouraged with that. Let that be an encouragement to you. Take that to heart today. Let that be a reminder to you that that same Boldness that Jesus has because he has the Spirit at work, the God the Spirit, and he's on the God, God the Father's timetable. You too can have. You can have that same boldness. After hearing what these people in Jerusalem are saying, you might wonder, have they come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Uh, no, they haven't. You can see the blindness of their unbelief in verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. But we know where this man comes from. They had just said, is it, is it because they think that this man is the Messiah? Could he be the Messiah? But, but no, they say. But we know where he comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. 
Is that true? <laughs> you know, there are things in the, in the Bible that aren't true. They're, they're recorded for us. This is what they said. Here, here they are, stirred up by the bold and clear teaching of Jesus. These people of Jerusalem have, have just suggested, back in verse 26, that this Jesus might be the Christ. Is this the Messiah? Do these Jewish religious authorities think this is the Messiah, even though they're seeking to kill him? But then they quickly dismiss that thought here in verse 27. And what they're saying is, no, 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 that, that can't be. We know where he's from. We know where he's come from. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to come suddenly and, and out of nowhere, as we're taught. You see, by the tradition that they'd been taught, that's what they believed. They believed that the Messiah would appear suddenly. They believed, as they developed this belief from their teaching, they, they developed it from a passage like Malachi 3.1. Listen to Malachi 3.1, which says this, Behold, I send my messenger. Who's that? That's speaking of the Messiah. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So they looked at a passage like that and developed this belief that he would come suddenly and that no one would know where he came from. So they thought the Messiah would appear unexpectedly, suddenly, and they thought that no one would would have an idea where, where he, he had come from. And, and since they thought they knew where Jesus was from, they thought they did, then he must not be the Messiah. Uh, Jesus had been raised in Nazareth. They, they knew that, and they thought that's where he was from. Well, evidently, they didn't know his birthplace was Bethlehem. And they'd been taught that no one would know the background of the Messiah. Because of this, the, they don't believe Jesus to be the the Christ, because of what they've been taught, because of the false teaching they'd received. This was based on a common belief that was in direct opposition to the teaching of Micah 5.2, which clearly pointed to Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. Listen to Micah 5.2, and you know this passage probably, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. We sang that ancient of days this morning. It's the Lord Jesus Christ from before creation. And so note how Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity. They've been mistaught. They didn't understand. Look at verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. And what Jesus is doing here, he is challenging their beliefs. He's, he's challenging their beliefs. In effect, Jesus is saying, you think you know who I am. Oh, you know me? <laughs> Is what he's getting at. You know me? You, you think you know where I'm from? You think you know who I am. You think you know where I'm from. Now look at the rest of verse 28 and then verse 29. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me 
is true. And him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So not only do you not know who I am, not only do you not know where I come from, you don't know the one who sent me. That's kind of an amazing statement. You don't know the one who sent me. Jesus says, he who sent me is true. In effect, Jesus is saying, you think you know the one true God, but you don't. How shocking that must have been for them to hear. After all that they'd been taught. And did you notice again here Jesus saying that he'd been sent by God? In verse 28, it's a reminder. He is on mission. He is on mission from the Father. He will not be hurried and he will not be delayed He will not be derailed on his mission. He won't be deterred. And that's just what we see here in verse 30. Look at verse 30 again. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It was not yet time for Jesus to be crucified. The day of his crucifixion would come. It would come in about six months. From this point, but not yet. It wasn't yet time. Now, I want you to see this wonderful statement here in verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. How about that? Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Many people Moved by the signs, moved by the miracles at the hands of Jesus. They reasoned that this had to be the Messiah. In their minds, they couldn't explain it any other way. And the result was, as we see here in verse 31, that many of the people believed in him. You know, when you hear the gospel, you have to decide who Jesus is. That's what's going on here. When you hear the truth of the gospel presented, you've got to decide, who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? If he is, then you must believe in him. But if you decide he's not the Messiah, then you must reject him. In just a few verses here, we can see in some people a lot of confusion about Jesus. We can see it in all of John 7. In fact, we can even see it before John 7. There are many people who disbelieve. There are many people who reject Jesus. But as we see here in verse 31, there were also, look at it again, many people who believed in him. We've seen many rejecting Jesus here. But we should not be surprised that Wherever the truth of the gospel is proclaimed, people will fall into one of two groups. Some will disbelieve and some will believe. Praise God for those who believe. The fact that some people do not believe the truth can be concerning for us, can it? 
And you may have people who are dear to you, who you are trying to share the gospel with at every opportunity, trying to help them understand the truth of the scriptures that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and yet turn away. People turn away. It's, it's concerning, isn't it? But when you come to a passage like this, it's encouraging to see here that, that we never find Jesus worried or concerned about those who disbelieve. He doesn't going away, I just didn't say it right this time. Why? What did I do wrong? <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. He's never worried or concerned about those who disbelieve. He, he wants people to believe, and yet he knows not all people will come to him. He shares the truth of the gospel. He teaches the truth, but not everyone believes. And it's encouraging to see here that, that Jesus is not worried And he's not concerned about those who disbelieve. Jesus faithfully goes about his work. And he he does it even as some disbelieve. Because many do believe. Many do believe. Can you say that about your work for Christ? Your life lived for Christ? Uh, Wouldn't it be great... I know that as we come into a place, we come in here together on Sunday mornings, sometimes you, you think this, sometimes I think this. Wouldn't it be great to see all these seats full of people? Wouldn't it be great? That would be, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? What if these seats are never filled with people? Will we get to a point where we say, well, I guess I'm done. I guess I'm not going to follow Christ anymore. I guess I'm not going to share the good news anymore. That would not be Jesus' attitude. Many disbelieved. But here we see many who believe. And Jesus is on mission. And he will not be deterred from his mission. And do you realize that Jesus has given us that same mission to carry on? To be bearers of light, bearers of truth, bearers of the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we be deterred? Fix your eyes on Christ, brothers and sisters. Beloved, follow Christ. Follow his example. Take courage and encouragement from Jesus' example here. He is not discouraged by those who disbelieve because he knows he's on mission. And yes, there will be people who reject Jesus, but you are only called by God to be faithful. That's what God calls you to do, He calls you to be faithful. Keep proclaiming the truth of Christ because there will be people who believe and are saved. You may not get to see it in your lifetime. Dale was talking to me this morning as I came in and he was telling me about selling his car this week and he said, I like to share the gospel with people wherever I go. And so this lady came to buy the car and I had to tell her about Jesus so I was telling her the gospel. She came back to get the title and she brought a, a, a fellow with her And he started to witness to him too. And the man started reciting scripture back to him. Quite well, said Dale. And he said to him, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? And he said, yes, I am. And he says, I've been witnessing to her, the lady that that brought him with her to buy the car. I've been witnessing to her and she's not quite there yet. And I thought that was a wonderful example of what God has called us to do. Dale said, well, he told the man, you planted the seed and I've watered it. (laughs) 
That's what we're to do. We don't, we don't know who, who God is drawing to himself. That's not our concern. Our concern is to be faithful and to witness and to tell people around us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone else who's also witnessing to them like Dale experienced this week. I thought that was an incredible example. I told him, I said, you just gave me a perfect sermon illustration to be used this morning, and I'm glad the Lord helped me remember it. Is that you? You realize that as you share the gospel, there may be people whom, whom God has put other people in their lives to also share them the gospel, and they're hearing the echo of truth from someone else, pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, some people will not believe. But there are those who will believe. But speaking of unbelief, look at verse 32. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Here are the chief priests, here are the Pharisees, they're scheming. Okay, we've had enough of him teaching in public like this. Look, there are people believing in him. We've got to do something. We've got to stop him. So so officers are sent to arrest Jesus. We'll see it later here in chapter 7, but they aren't yet able to arrest Jesus. And he continues to teach. Look at verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. Jesus knows what lies ahead for him. It would be just a few months and he would be crucified. And when he had been risen from the dead, when he had risen from the dead, he would ascend to be at God the Father's side. And note the warning he gives the people listening. Verse 34, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus is speaking about when he will ascend to be with the Father after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. And people who reject Jesus will not be able to be with him. Jesus would go away. He would ascend. And he would send his spirit back to live in those who believe. But those who disbelieve would not be able to go and be with Jesus. So the warning is really this, believe, believe and live. Because those who reject Jesus will not see eternal life. So do they yield to Jesus? Do they believe? Do they believe in him? No, they don't. Note their scornful unbelief. Look at verses 35 and 36 again. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? They they just don't get it, do they? Some of the people scoff at Jesus' words. They think he's talking about going to teach among Jews in foreign lands. They think he means he'll be teaching the Gentiles. They completely miss what Jesus is saying. And they do not understand because of the truth that we hear in words like we hear in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, that is the unbeliever, that is the person who is not being drawn by the Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They were not spiritually discerning. They were not spiritually understanding what Jesus was saying. And this is a reminder that it is not up to you to save people. Jesus saves sinners. We're messengers. We're to be messengers of light, messengers of truth, but it's not up to us to save people. It's up to us to deliver the message, to do it graciously and lovingly and try to do it as clearly as possible and even help explain the Scriptures to people. We are messengers. We don't save anyone, but Jesus saves. And God draws people to Himself. And your mission is to share the gospel. Never stop sharing the gospel. Come what may. If you're a believer in Jesus, that's your mission. To live for God's glory so that people see Christ and turn to Him and are saved. So I'm greatly encouraged when I come to a passage like this today and I see the boldness of Jesus in this passage. Even though many are rejecting Him, He's still bold. And if you are Christ, and if you are obediently following the teaching of Jesus, then His boldness can be your boldness. To remain faithful to God, come what may, no matter what happens in the world around us, no matter what happens on Tuesday, God is in control. You are on God's timeline. You are here to give God glory with your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your mission. Do not be sidetracked by what's going on in the world around you. May God's word encourage you to live for God's glory. May God's word today challenge you to live by the gospel, live your life by the gospel, and live your life in such a way that you have opportunities to tell people about your Savior. May God's word encourage you for that this week.